Hello and welcome to this week's podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This time for the Business Week and it's 16th July 2021. This is Ian Haydock. This week, Pharma's Q2 prospects, Bayer's plan for the US launch of its CKD drug, Big Tobacco takes further steps into healthcare, KRAS's emergence in oncology amid ongoing challenges, and tips for European biotech fundraising. Second quarter financial results are expected to mark a financial inflection point for big pharmaceutical manufacturers after nearly 18 months of navigating the uncertain commercial market for drugs amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. Revenues across the sector are expected to rebound in the quarter following a challenging first quarter. As the industry hits the midpoint of 2021 and makes progress in its slow pandemic recovery, strong second quarter financial results could give some drug makers confidence to increase their financial outlook for the year. Comparisons against the second quarter of 2020 should also be markedly easier to beat. Jessica Merrill writes that there's still uncertainty, however, and it remains to be seen if the rebound will deliver as investors are hoping. SPV Learink analyst Jeffrey Porges predicted a positive second quarter growth story for pharma. We are increasing our revenue and EPS estimates across the board, he said in a 9th July research note. The first companies to report are J&J and Novartis on 21st July, which could reveal clues for the sector as a whole. J&J has already forecast solid revenue growth of 9.7 to 10.9% in 2021, after a relatively strong first quarter performance. Novartis had a harder first quarter and has forecast low to mid-single-digit growth after posting a 2% net sales decline in the first quarter. There remains significant variability in the recovery, depending on each company's product portfolio and how disease diagnosis rates and prescription trends are normalising across therapeutic areas. Areas like immunology and diabetes appear to be normalising faster than oncology, since cancer can take longer to diagnose and begin treatment. Data from IQVIA released earlier this year suggested that 3.8% of total US prescriptions could be lost through the first half of 2021 due to misdiagnosis visits. IQVIA forecast that diagnosis visits would be down 8.8% in the US in the first half of 2021 versus a pre-COVID baseline. Oncology, gastroenterology and dermatology were among the most heavily impacted categories. Another area that's been heavily hit in 2020 and the first half of 2021 is non-COVID vaccines for adults and adolescents. Bayer brought in a new sales team specifically to promote Carendia, which is phenerenone, in the US for chronic kidney disease in patients with type 2 diabetes. The FDA approved the non-steroidal mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist on 9th July and the company is working to distribute the product to retail pharmacies within the following two weeks. Mandy Daxon writes that the drug is indicated to reduce the risk of sustained estimated glomerular filtration rate decline, kidney failure, cardiovascular death, non-fatal myocardial infarction and hospitalisation for heart failure in adult patients with CKD associated with type 2 diabetes. Paul Bedard, Senior Vice President of Bayer's Cardiovascular and Renal Franchise, said the company has worked closely with payers and sought their feedback. It was important to us in terms of making sure that we achieve a formulary position for the product that really makes the out-of-pocket cost to patients affordable, and so we have taken that type of approach. 
In addition to that, we already have a copay support card and programme out there to help reduce out-of-pocket costs for patients to essentially pay as little as $10 per prescription. The list price of the drug is $6,935 per year in the US before discounts and rebates negotiated with payers and help from the company's patient assistance programs. Bernard said the drug largely will be covered in the US by commercial health plans and Medicare and by Medicaid for a smaller proportion of patients. Carendia will be dosed on top of renin angiotensin system inhibitors which were recommended in treatment guidelines for CKD associated with type 2 diabetes at the time that Bayer started its phase 3 trials for the drug. Since then, two SGLT2 inhibitors initially approved to lower blood sugar in type 2 diabetes have also been approved for CKD. It may seem ironic to many that a tobacco company is buying a respiratory specialist biotech but Philip Morris International is not expecting any backlash for its planned $1.44 billion acquisition of the UK's Vectura Group, insisting that the purchase is a key component of a shift from selling cigarettes to becoming what it describes as a broader healthcare and wellness company. Eyebrows were raised when it was announced on 9th July that it had outbid private equity group Carlyle to get Vectura, which has transitioned over the past few years away from drug R&D to become a leading contract drug manufacturing organisation in the field of inhalation technology. Kevin Grogan writes that Vectura's management may be convinced about the virtues of a tie-up with the tobacco giant, but on a fractious call with journalists to discuss the deal, Philip Morris CEO Jacek Olzak was rattled by the claim that having contributed to respiratory diseases by selling cigarettes, Buying a respiratory-focused biotech was a cynical move. Olsak claimed that when the tobacco firm started its transformation of reducing its reliance on smoking products six years ago, the firm had zero revenues coming from scientifically substantiated better alternatives. Now, with products that have received marketing authorizations in the US under the pre-market tobacco product application pathway, Already, 25% of our revenues are coming from non-combustible products, not from cigarettes. Our target for 2025 is to reach more than 50%, he said. Last year, Philip Morris's revenues were $70 billion. Earlier this month, the firm paid $820 million to snap up Fertin Pharma, a private Danish company that makes smoking cessation products. Oxac said that deal and the Vectura buy are part of our long-term commitment to the transformation of our business. This is not a search for short-term gains and efficiencies. He stressed that Vectura would operate as an autonomous business, adding that we are committed to investing in scientific excellence over the long term. Oxac told Scripp that no other respiratory acquisitions were likely, but healthcare remains a priority. The company also has a stake in Medicargo, which, with partner GSK, could be on track to have a phase 3 readout for their plant-based COVID-19 vaccine candidate soon. Orczak claimed that our desire is to solve the problem of smoking forever, which is one day to stop selling cigarettes. KRAS inhibitors are emerging as an exciting cancer treatment option, with the recent US approval of Amgen's Lumacras and breakthrough therapy designation for Mirati Therapeutics Adagrasib, holding new hope for companies looking to develop KRAS-based oncology offerings. Viba Ravi writes that KRAS was considered undruggable until quite recently, but now fuels 23 prophylactic treatment or diagnostic candidates in development, according to Informers Biomed Tracker. 
Speakers at the recent USA-India Chamber of Commerce Summit discussed novel oncology modalities, including KRAS, the complexities involved in tackling mutations, and the need for targeted as well as combination therapies in order to improve real-world success rates. Despite some important breakthroughs like the development of inhibitors of the G12C KRAS mutation, responses elicited by KRAS inhibitors are relatively short-term and there might be too many escape mutations, said Vivek Ramaswamy, who's founder and executive chair at Royvant Sciences. There could be mutations outside of the target protein of interest, maybe outside of KRAS, but in the pathway, then there are mutations specific to the protein itself. And I think what approaches we take, combination therapy versus not, depend on escape mutation, even as it applies to the pathway, even if that's the protein, he added. Samuel Waxal, who's founder of Mayra GTX Holdings, said that what we need to do is figure out ways to make sure that we know what's going to happen when we hit KRAS or when we hit EGFR, etc., and how they use all the different networks to bypass effective therapies. Precision medicine is going to be the future, and for each patient, you're going to have to understand what those escape mutations are or what pathways to target and the next round of therapy for them. Elise Racin, who's CEO of Tectonic Therapeutics, added at the meeting. Doing business online has given European biotechs greater access to the investor community across the Atlantic, allowing companies more opportunities to tap into the considerable funds on offer in the US, according to Mario Biopharma CEO Denise Scotts-Knight. Panelist on the fundraising strategies for European biopharma companies webcast, part of the Demi Colton Virtual Salon series, Scotts Knight noted that we've never seen so much capital invested in these earlier stage platform and preclinical companies. She added that as biotechs with promising technologies such as mRNA and CRISPR continue to deliver, the capital will still be there for these types of companies, so I do think that's sustainable. She also spoke at length about the huge change in the last 18 months that has levelled the playing field for us European companies to access US capital more easily. And that is, of course, the pandemic and the whole shift to virtual roadshows. Scott's Knight highlighted the online presentation UK headquartered Mario hosted in February this year, where we raised $115 million in a day. For me, I was able to show more easily the breadth and depth of the company. I could have five of the management team on all of the calls instead of myself, and maybe one or two other executives visiting in person, she said. Having the whole team present really helped. But cultural differences between the US and Europe must still be navigated and the change in presentation style might be needed in some cases to attract US investors. Scott Knight acknowledged that she had to shift further, definitely, in the pitches. In the US, there's more rah-rah, it's bolder, she said. She added tons of European companies can deliver, but we don't necessarily present in the positive way that we could. I think sometimes European CEOs are understated. Martin Welshoff, CEO of Sweden's BioInvent International, agreed in general with Scott's Knight, but stated that, in his case, I did a fundraising last summer that was European-focused that raised close to $80 million. Then I did a fundraising first quarter this year that raised close to $120 million, which was mainly US-driven. Same pitch. I didn't change a dime. Welshoff claimed that what had changed recently, especially for European companies, is that they can be more ambitious. Previously, when you were looking just for, let's call it, European money, venture capital would look at tranching. They would say, OK, we'll fund you to this milestone, 
and see whether you deliver and then you get the next tranche. That has changed, definitely, he said. That's all for this time. Don't forget to sign in and set up to access these stories in full, which are also linked in the article accompanying this podcast. Also be sure to check out all the other podcasts from across our companion publications available on your usual platforms. Bye for now.